Good morning, again. A lot of you have told me in the past couple weeks that you've been praying for me while I've been working on this sermon, and I appreciate that because I need it. Teaching God's Word is a serious thing, and I most of the time feel woefully inadequate to do that. Um, But someone who loved me reminded me recently that the Holy Spirit cares so much more about um, this message and this word and it being effective than, than I do. And I believe in the Spirit, and I believe that He works in us and is powerful. So would you pray with me one more time before we get started? God, you care about your word. Uh, you've protected it over centuries so that it could be in our hands today. And it's an incredible gift to, to have it and to be able to know you that well and to read it and to understand. And we're imperfect, and we don't always get it, but we trust that you have the power and the desire to make it clear to us um, and to work your will in our life through it for your glory. And so I pray as we look at uh, your word together today that what, whatever misunderstandings or whatever bits of my own agenda have made it into this message, that they would be quickly forgotten, Lord. But whatever truth you've given me grace to understand here, I pray that it would stick. Work through me if you can, Lord. Work around me if you must. But let your truth be known for your glory today. Amen. So I'd like to look at the book of Jonah together today. Just the first two chapters, and you'll find they start on page 916 in the black hymnal in front of you. It's in the middle of a bunch of shorter books. It's a short book itself that we call the Minor Prophets, right in between Obadiah and Micah. It's easy to miss. And it's interesting. I like Jonah because it's the only one of that set of books, those Minor Prophets, that's a narrative. It's a story. And I love to study a story because Uh, I feel like we're good at stories, right? Some of us here, I'm sure, really love to read history, a good history book, and you get a lot out of it, and you understand it, and you get excited about it, and that's a great way for you to learn. Some of us, I'm here, sure, love poetry, and you can read poetry, and it's moving, and it's inspiring, and it gets you excited, and you understand a point, and it really works for you. But I think a lot of us here love poetry, stories, whether it's books or music or movies or plays. So much of our entertainment today is stories, and so stories are something that we have a little more practice with. So I'm excited to look at the story of Jonah together. I think it's interesting, too, that Jonah as a story is really common in your uh, children's Bibles, right? It's a good one. Big fish, exciting, uh, miracles, It's a good story, and so we read it a lot. And the message I've always gotten from reading uh, those kids' books has always been about obedience, right? When God says go, go. That's the message of Jonah, right? And I have gone back and forth over obedience, my obedience to God, and where it fits and where it doesn't fit in today's message, and what Jonah says about it and what Jonah doesn't say about it, and is it more about obedience, or is it more about grace, 
that I've, I've written and rewritten things over and over, but I think that's been helpful for me to struggle with because I think obedience is, is one of the most misunderstood parts of Christianity sometimes. We can get really out of whack in our view with it. And so uh, as we look at the story of Jonah together, I hope that we pick up and we learn something about not, not just not just us and our issues with obedience, because the focus shouldn't be us, but on God and his reaction to it and what he does in response to it. Um, and, I, and I pray that it, it kind of clarifies some of it for us. So let's go ahead and get started on that. If, you'll, if you've found it, if you'll look at um, the very beginning of Jonah 1 for me, we'll start reading together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So, good story starts with the main character, and we meet our main character, Jonah. What do we know about him? It's not a whole lot, but we know he's a prophet someone who speaks to God. Uh, He was actually mentioned really briefly in 2 Kings when we studied that. Not a lot, just enough to say, and then this thing happened just as the Lord said it would through the prophet Jonah of Amittai. So we know that God's spoken to him before, and we know that God has just spoken to him now and given him a a mission. Go up to Nineveh and preach to them. And we know that for some reason, it doesn't tell us what yet, he doesn't want to do that. And he runs away. Isn't it weird that he runs? Because we just said Jonah's a prophet. And he's an Israelite. He's one of God's people. Of, of anyone in the Bible, shouldn't he know better than to run from God? Shouldn't he know that you can't just hop on a ship and sail across the ocean and, and be out of his reach? Right? We read this and we're like, Jonah, didn't you know God would still be able to follow you? It, so it seems crazy. It seems funny to us. Um, but my first point today, if you're, if you're writing them down because I don't have a PowerPoint or anything, my first point is this. When we choose other things instead of God, we get other things instead of God. I think part of the reason that it seemed so weird to me that Jonah would run away is that we like to think that we can follow God and something else, right? We like to think that we could say, I, I love you, God, and, and you're, you're most important, but, you know, this, this thing over here, it's just too important for me to let go of. Or, or this thing here, I just, I just lo- love it too much, or it makes me too happy. I, I just need to do that, God. There's definitely times when I know what God wants me to do or not to do, and I, and I want to do the opposite. And there's even more times, honestly, when it's just that I want, want to do something, like make a decision about how I spend my time or my money or how I handle a problem or a relationship. And I don't even want to find out what God wants, just in case, just in case it's different than, than what I want, right? And that, that doesn't feel like I'm running away the way Jonah does. 
but it's me choosing that something else, whatever that is, that I'm saying this is so important, God, that I don't even want to know your will, let alone follow it. I'm saying I want that more than I want God. And I'm going to follow that. I'll follow him other times and other things, but here I'm going to follow that instead of him because it's more important. And then the scary thought is what if I get what I want? What if I follow something else instead of him and it takes me away from him? Let's see where it takes Jonah. We're going to keep reading in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots, roll dice, to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So there's a lot going on in that passage. Jonah is far from a boring story, right? We've got a wild storm. We've got Jonah tossed overboard. We've got frightened sailors. Did you notice all the fear in that section? First, the sailors fear the storm. Then when Jonah tells them about God, they're terrified. And then at the end, when it's all calm, it says they fear the Lord. Now, what do we mean when we talk about fear of the Lord? The Bible says it a lot, uses that term, fear the Lord, and it always seems like a funny phrase to us. We're, we're not sure if it means that we should be scared of him, that that doesn't seem right because we know he loves us, and we always struggle with this. What does this mean, fear the Lord? Well, a lot of times it's used to mean to worship something. When the storm first hits, each sailor cries out to his own God, but that doesn't work. Apparently their gods aren't worth much worship, but they see that Jonah's God is real. He's able to calm the storm, and they worship him instead. When we talked earlier uh, earlier about choosing other things instead of God, we're talking about worship. Worship, the word, literally means to 
ascribe worth to something, treating it as worthy, right? So that's when we're singing songs together. We call that worship time because we're, we're, we're talking about how worthy God is. And when I'm choosing something else instead of God, it's not just that I'm saying, okay, God, uh, you know, I, w- I want this instead. I'm, I'm treating that thing as worth more than God. I'm, I'm trusting that thing to give me happiness or give me protection, give me a feeling of belonging and identity or encourage me or save me. I'm, I'm treating that thing as worthy. And sometimes the fear of the Lord, I think, is about what we don't fear. Right? At first, the sailors fear the storm. Later, they feel the Lord. Why? Because he was clearly bigger than the storm, right? What are we trusting to be bigger than the storm? What do I grab onto like the sailors cry out to their own idols that that I think is going to keep me safe from whatever I'm afraid of, but it's not actually bigger than that? And sometimes fear just means fear. Look at verses 9 and 10. The sailors are in the middle of this storm that they're sure is about to shipwreck wreck them. They ask Jonah, what's going on? And he says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, and I'm running away from him because I don't want to do what he wants me to do. And they say, what? Are you serious? You've got to be crazy. What have you done? Point number two for today, God cares when we run from him. And thank goodness he does. When I was a kid, my dad, who's here today, sitting over there, holding my son, he would read us the Chronicles of Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. And the character, Aslan, who represents God in the books, is a lion. And there's this great moment where one character says, a lion? Is he safe? And another says, safe? Of course he's not safe. But he is good. I love that quote. Because it's all right, uh, you know, if you, if you read fear the Lord and you don't like that term, it seems weird to you because, because you don't think you should be scared of God. That's okay. That's an okay thing to feel. But it's, it's because God's good, not because he's safe. And believe me, you don't want a safe God. We've got three boys. A lot of you have seen them sitting in those pews over there and seen us trying our best to teach them to uh, sit calmly and listen to God's word and enjoy the service with us. And it's hard. It doesn't always work. Sometimes as a parent, you know, you've seen me carry one of those boys out here and there needs to be punishment. And that's never fun, right? But, but if you saw me and, and one of my boys and, and we saw that they were clearly doing something that was not good for them, not in their best interest, right? Disobeying, walking out to the parking lot, and I say, no, no, come here, and they keep going. If I didn't care about that, if I just let them go and do whatever they wanted, would you say, boy, he loves those boys so much. He just lets them do whatever they want. What a great dad. What lucky kids. No. You'd, you'd say, wow, 
They don't really seem to care. See, God knows when I choose something else instead of God, when I, when I go looking for worth in something else, God knows that it's not bigger than my storms. God knows that it's not going to give me what I think I need from it. God knows that if I turn away from him, I'm in trouble because he's what I need. And thank goodness, he cares enough that when I do, he's willing to send a storm after me every now and then. We sang this morning, we are more than conquerors in Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. And why, why do we love that songs like that so much? Why does that get us um, excited, right? If you've ever felt pain, and I know you have, if you've ever felt injustice and sorrow, you want a God who's going to do something about this broken world that we live in. And he promises to in the Bible, from the day that Adam and Eve first chose to follow themselves and their own desires instead of God, he has had a plan to bring us back to him. In the same breath that he told them that they had to leave the garden, he told them that there was a plan to crush the one who led them astray in the first place. If you live in a broken world, And you have a God who promises to have a solution for that. You want that God to be a lion. God cares enough about his plan in our lives and he cares enough about his plan in this story to send a storm after Jonah. Jonah ends up tossed overboard for it. And we left him floating somewhere in the ocean. So let's get back to him. In verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. That must have been uncomfortable, praying in a fish. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have found, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. When we run from the Lord, like Jonah did, we often find ourselves far from him. And this is where we find Jonah, at the bottom of the sea, at the roots of the mountains, with the seaweed wrapped around his head. Jonah, this prophet, this man of God, finds himself very far from God. Except, 
somehow, when we think we find ourselves far from God, we find out, surprisingly, that he's followed us. That he's not so far after all. God's there at the bottom of the ocean. Just when Jonah is at his furthest point, when he seems beyond saving, he says, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again on your holy temple. The earth barred me in forever. But you, Lord, brought my life up. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. If you only remember one point from Jonah today, make it this one. When we run from God, he chases us. Remember that because, you know, I think one of the ways we misunderstand disobedience is that we think it's not a big deal, that I can just you know, do whatever and God will forgive me. And we, we talked about that in the first two points, but it's so easy It's so easy to hear those first two points and think that then the answer is that we need to do better. If the problem is that I've run away from God, then I need to get myself back. If the problem is that I've disobeyed, then I need to straighten up and be more obedient. I just need to do better. That makes sense to us. It especially fits our picture of a good American work ethic, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. God helps those who help themselves, right? But, but any time we start focusing on ourselves and what we do instead of God and what he does, red flags should be going up. Like we're expecting to find the solution in the same place that we found the problem. Amazingly, beautifully, the solution when I run from God is that he follows me. And not just passively, not just quietly. He doesn't tiptoe along at a distance hoping that he'll catch my eye. He chases me. Look at how he chased Jonah. With storms and sailors and giant fish and an epic ocean rescue. Look at how he chased the people of Nineveh. We're not even going to talk about chapters 3 and 4 today. We're just looking at chapters 1 and 2. And there's a whole story of what God's doing here and all of it is just him getting Jonah to go preach to Nineveh so that they will repent and he'll save them too. And look at how he chases you. Jonah was a prophet and he was barely willing to even go to Nineveh and preach to the people there about God. Jesus was God is God, has always been God. And when, while we were still his enemies, still choosing things other than him, he was willing to chase us far enough to leave his father's side and live with us like one of us. He was willing to chase us to a small upper room with a few close followers that would be soon to turn their faces away from him. He was willing to chase us all the way to death on a cross. And when he did that, God cast himself aside. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have existed forever together 
in unity, but on the cross we hear Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It worked out really well that we, in Sunday school this morning, we studied the crucifixion. We've been working through a long study of the whole Bible, and we just got to that point. And it brought up Barabbas and made a cool point that I've never thought about, about Barabbas before. Barabbas was the uh, prisoner who had rebelled against Rome. And when, when the crowds are chanting, you know, that they want Jesus punished, Pilate comes out and he has Jesus and Barabbas, and he says, which one of these would you like me to release to you? And they say, give us Barabbas. Instead of choosing the one who had done no wrong, instead of choosing Jesus who came for their sake, they chose the one who had done wrong. They chose something else instead of him. And God, amazingly, when we had run away from him, when we had chosen things other than him, he chose us. He chose to punish his innocent son in our place when he had every right to just to, to let us be wherever we had run off to. Instead, Jesus was cast further away from him than we can imagine so that we could be drawn close. That's how far he'll chase us.